Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, along with John and Logan. Today is episode number 95, closing in on 100. On today's episode, we'll be talking about shop-made tools and something new here at Woodsmith. Hope you enjoy the show. This episode of the Shop Notes Podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. All right. First up, something that's new, and we need to have Chris on to talk about this again. But we launched something that we call CNC Basecamp here at Woodsmith, something that Chris has been working on for almost a whole year now. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, For people who are familiar with the magazine and uh, plans, he designed a shop-built CNC, which is actually really freaking cool. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been a really popular plan, and there's been a lot of interest in that style of woodworking. So he wanted to help kind of connect the dots and get people started on it. So it's a website and monthly YouTube series that has um, usually centers around a project and then some techniques and discussions about how to put your CNC to use. So it's a totally new area for me. So that's why I want to have Chris on the show coming up here to talk about it with a little bit more expertise than what I have. Yep. Chris is yeah. basically our hype man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what we have three or four episodes up right now or yeah, three, four, something like that. But yeah, I've been kind of waiting for this too, because we always ask Chris to do stuff for us on the CNC and now maybe we can learn something and do it ourselves without <laughs> screwing it up too bad. No, maybe. No, no. I think so because I know that they're like Dylan's been interested in doing more CNC stuff and yeah I don't think it'll replace our normal woodworking but it's definitely another tool to have in your tool bag or yeah you know to accentuate the projects that we're already doing or yeah. help help with building so I'm excited about it Chris does a great job on video and he has the heart of a teacher yeah the patience of a teacher he has patience with all of us yeah he definitely (laughs) puts up with us patients are a high pain threshold i don't know what that is yeah all right so the other thing we would talk about is the fact that we started filming season 16 of the woodsmith shop Mm -hmm. tv show now these won't air until next fall, so it's like living in the future. Yeah, we're and, living in twenty twenty two. Yeah. So far, no pandemic. <laughs> or is that? Are we just? Are, is it done? Is it done in twenty two? Sure. Decide we're not continuing with it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Called it off. All right. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Been waiting for that. Yeah. yeah. It's like just waving it off. Just mm-hmm. uh, and the episode that we filmed was on making shop-made tools. 
So we selected three tools to make and demonstrate the techniques for, uh, which leads to the idea of, and the question of who else has made their own tools. Like obviously, you know, that was a good chunk of shop notes magazine was making your own tools. Yeah. And even in this upcoming issue of Woodsmith of Woodsmith, uh, Chris has, uh, a shop made 20 inch disc sander, mm-hmm. which is super cool. And scary. Once it starts, <laughs> <laughs> it's a beast. Yeah. Well, he had designed a 12 inch disc sander years ago, and that one actually had a pivoting head. So you could rotate it around and it had like a, I don't know, a chuck or arbor attachment on the backside to do like a flap sander or okay. buffing wheel. See, I was thinking pivoting, you were going to like a sanding turntable style. <laughs> Floor sander. Floor sander, yeah. yes. <laughs> But that one was only 12 inches and we, he wanted to do another disc sander, but you know, like doing another 12 inch disc sander, I don't know that that necessarily served a purpose. And it feels like it 12 inches is like the max commonly available size that you see around. You know, like there's those disc yeah. belt sanders where it's anywhere from like a six to a eight or a 12 inch. Yeah. Cause what was that Powermatic one that we had? That's probably mm. a 10 or 12. Yeah. yeah. I guess I was, I was looking for a ruler so I could hold it up and see. Yeah. I'd say it's probably a 12 inch. Okay. Or I just, you know, pull up the Powermatic website and see. Right. It's silly. <laughs> But stepping up from a 12 to a 20 inch turns it into a, like a super tool. Yeah. The, uh, it looks like, oh, where's it at? There it is. Yeah. That one is a, uh, it is a six by 48 belt and a 12 inch disc. So, okay. yeah, but yeah. You, uh, when you add that extra, what, eight in, it's 20 inch, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. It's 20. It's different class, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost like an industrial tool. And then when you start looking at those, then the price is way high. So what's interesting is Chris use, uses a, a 220 motor on there just because of getting that 20 inch disc to spin. Yeah. Well, it's a two horse motor, which right. I think is funny because the belt sander or edge sander, he just designed I say just got it's been probably, it's been over a year, right? Uh, oh yeah. Way longer. Um, <laughs> no. it's, uh, that one only used the one horse motor. Right. So, and that thing's got a lot of inertia once it, that this center is a lot of inertia. Once it starts moving, it's moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a flywheel. Yep. Yeah. Like a freight train. Yep. Takes two radial miles to come to a complete stop once it gets <laughs> yes. going. It's, that's fair. Yeah. 
but it works really well. I, that was, that was pretty cool once, you know, when we fired it up and just how smoothly it ran and it's quiet. Mm-hmm. So buying a 220 motor, two horse, 220 motor is going to cost some money. Yes. But compared to a commercially made, uh, compared to a commercially made 20 inch disc sander, yep. you're still saving quite a bit of money. So quick, a quick Google has told me that the jet 20 inch disc sander is 3,700 bucks. The Powermatic is 3,300 bucks. There is a Grizzly for 1,800 bucks, but that's on sale. Yeah. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Chris paid like what, 500 or something like that for that motor. Yeah, and I mean, to, I mean, just because we buy a new motor because that's kind of what we have to do, right? Uh, you can you can find used motors pretty reasonably. So, like, if, sure, if somebody was had an you know keeping an eye out for one, they could probably find a used one on like Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist for you know a hundred bucks probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure that there will be folk that will wire a. Uh, a 110 motor on there. Oh yeah, completely. And it would probably be fine. Yep. It looks like a, jeez, oh, go to Northern Tool, you get a Leeson three horse for 390 bucks. Oh, see, there you go. So, yeah. So a couple hundred bucks for a motor. Yeah. Not much more for materials for that because it's plywood or MDF or however you want to well, make the case and housing for it. But the only thing that you really want to spend some money on is nice plywood for the disc itself. Yeah. And probably melamine for the, the top surface. Right. right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And all the parts are fairly small. Um, I mean, I, they're, they're larger panels, but they're like a lot of them are off cut size. So right. you could, probably throughout the year like piece this thing together off your plywood scraps walnut and oak yes and and baltic birch yep whatever you you have hammer paint it and nobody Mm -hmm. knows the difference yep slap a powermatic sticker on it call it good Uh (laughs) design your own custom power tool sticker yep so i guess when i kind of presented this topic the shop made power tools are fun. They're cool and they work well. If you have a good design now, I'm not going to say that a staying on the disc sander idea. There are guys that will turn their lathes into a disc sander or a drum sander. Right. Not saying they're not, not going to work, not saying that they're not going to work well. Uh, but a if well thought out design like Chris's is going to be, better but i was i'm i'm approaching it more from a hand tool standpoint okay because that's what i enjoy is really making hand tools like i guess what i'm getting at is you can make a shot made power tool and you can make it work very well um our friend james hamilton stumpy nubs he's made a couple um he had a a drum sander i think like a thickness sander he made that worked really well um Will it work better than a mass-produced one, I guess, is my question. And that's a question okay. for for you two. Do you think that 
is there any any reason why Chris's disc sander wouldn't work as well as a factory made one, or do you think a factory made one will work slightly better? What's your thoughts? Uh, it's hard to say. Like, will it wear better over time or not? But I think a tool like say the disc sander, it's pretty simple. There's not a lot of like precision with a drum sander. You're trying to get to a certain thickness. This is just a spinning disc of sand or you know sandpaper. So I think it'll work just fine for, for most people's needs when you're not trying to get like a precision, you know, finish on your, on your project. So I, so I think something like that would work just fine for, you know, price point to, yeah. for, to a professionally made mass yeah. produced tool. Would you agree with that, Phil? Yes. And because I think, well, I mean, there's, yes, I would agree with that. Okay. There are some caveats to that in the sense that it depends on who's making it. Yep. You know, if you take your time to put that together and, you know, look at it as the fact that you're making, you know, there's as much precision there as you want to build into it. Yes. Now there's a point where you'll get to diminishing returns. Like you'll spend hours and hours on stuff that doesn't really matter. However, you can turn that into a pretty solid tool, you know, like that edge sander that he has, that he made. And we have on the set in the TV studio. Like I use that one all the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I feel like that's at least the equal of the jet big edge sander Mm -hmm. that we have in the main shop. Now that jet has gotten way more use over many more years. But, you know, several years in on the regular use it gets that we use it for, it's, it's proven itself. You know, you have to add some oil to the bearings periodically. And I mean, clearly change the belt when it's necessary to change the belt, you know, don't blame the function of a power tool like that on the the fact that you've been trying to cheap your way out on getting every last grit out of your sanding belts. Yeah. So I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is, is I think in the shop made power tool world, they will work as well as they need to work. And, and like you said, as well as they'll be as precise as you build them. Right. Whereas a manufactured one might wear better Cast iron is going to obviously wear right. better than than steel or melamine or whatever. Um, if you, uh, I, I think it will have a longer lifespan. Is the extra wear and precision that you might get from a machined one better than a shop made one? I don't know. That's that I think completely yeah. depends on the shop, mm-hmm. right? But where where I was kind of leading to is. I think in the shop made hand tool world, you can, in my opinion, very easily produce a hand tool in your shop that is better than anything you can buy. Um, yes. That's mass produced. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to build a Bailey Stanley style number four in my shop that's going to be better than a Lee Nielsen. But if you compare. Let's say uh, yesterday. So the the three tools we made. You made a scraper shave. Chris made right. a marking knife, and I made an awl. 
could I go out and buy an all that is the same quality of what I made yesterday? I don't think I could. Same thing with no. the scraper shave. Like, can not you, that you would pay for. Not that I would pay for. No, no. Like, I'm sure. I'm sure Logan somewhere. might pay for it. But <laughs> the mo- most normal people would not. Uh, yeah, like, I mean, and that's fair. Like, I'm sure I could go to like some Japanese blacksmith and have an all made, or I'm sure, I'm sure you could get a hold of, uh, you know, a, a custom hand plane manufacturer, uh, you know, Red Rose Reproductions or whatever, and have them make you a scraper shave. Right. But if you go to Lee Valley or Woodcraft and you type in scraper shave, if you find one, generally it's going to be like a Taiwanese style, you know, produced. It will work, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to be the same quality as what Phil made yesterday. Yeah. So I guess that, that is where this whole thing kind of is fun to me because you can make a tool that works extremely well, better than most things you could buy uh, for depending on how much effort you want to do it, very want to put into it, very little effort. Mm-hmm. Like and if, very little material cost. Oh, exactly. You can find stuff, you know, the little scraps you've been hoarding around the shop yeah. or, you know, some special offcut of a, an exotic wood and maybe a few, you know, off-the-shelf pieces of hardware. From the yep, hardware right. store, and you got a custom tool, and they look better than what you can buy. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Completely. I mean, there's right, which I think is an overlooked part of woodworking that I think that people they value without necessarily knowing that they value it. Like good-looking tools are fun to work with. Yeah, you know, like there's a there's an enhanced enjoyment. And I think if, if you know, most of the time, a good looking tool, uh, ends up being more comfortable to use too. So there's a, there's a pleasure in, in using something like that. Plus you get to make it and it's totally custom. Even if you're going off of a plan, you know, which we're going to offer the plans for those tools, you know, like your all has a turned handle on it. Yep. Um, probably anybody else going to turn that, that turning is going to be subtly different. If they were trying, even if they were trying to make it exact. Yes. But being a turned element like that could very easily be shaped differently to match whatever you want or, you know, just your own personal aesthetic and now you have a tool that just does not exist anywhere else yeah Yeah. you know same thing like with those scraper shaves that you know you change up the materials that you're using with change the way that you cut out and shape the handles to feel comfortable for your own grip you know like bam new tool yeah well and you can so the three, like I said, the three tools are made: the awl, the smoke shaves, or the script shaves, and the marking knife. If any one of us were doing those off camera, two hours, maybe to make them, maybe oh, yeah. less. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right? Not very long. The, I mean, I think the longest part of any of those was when I had to file the the hexagon um, metal into a point, basically for right. the awl. Um. I mean, what's cool about that 
that short of time period to make a tool of these qualities is that you could very easily customize a tool for a very specific task. So like your, your scraper shapes kind of are the main example here where you can make the soul completely different shapes. Like, Hey, you're working on a, uh, I'm just pulling it out of the air here, a Windsor chair product, a Windsor chair project. And you need a scraper shape that's going to fit on the turned legs. Right. The, two hours to custom make a tool for that. That's going to look good and function really well. Come on. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, two day shipping, Amazon prime, screw that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not only that, I mean, there's in making a tool, especially if you're, you know, again, depending on the care that you put into it, you are enhancing skills that you will put to use yes. in other projects. Yep intentionally or not, you know, you're just going to build muscle memory or, you know, familiarity with other tools, you know, like using a bandsaw to shape the curved handles or, you know, using a file to create smooth, flat, straight surfaces. Yep. Like there's a skill in that, like watching Chris use a file is ridiculous to me because that man, yeah, like he had his knife scales. And then the little brass pins that were holding the scales to the blade, you know, and they were proud just a little bit. And he had this file that on camera looked like it was six feet long. Yeah. And he's just filing across and did not nick the handle yeah, at I was, all. I wasn't, I was watching that too. I was like, I would have totally nicked yeah. the handle and biffed it, caused all kinds it of trouble. It slips off, you know, and you make this big furrow on the crotch mm-hmm. and it's like, yep, looks like we're going to change the texture of that handle. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's, it's a lot of fun. What would you say then would be kind of the, what are some gateway drugs of shop built tools? I think a mallet is definitely achievable by about anybody and can use scraps and stuff and well, I think it gives you the biggest bang for your buck, too. Oh, yeah. Hold <laughs> on. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I got to get the media okay. ready for that. I got to do the clapping. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I mean, like, for it depends on, in my opinion, it depends on what you, how you work in your shop. If you're a, a hand sure. tool user, if you're a hybrid, or if you're a power tool user, like, mallets, like John said, that's a good, everybody uses it. I mean, you're yeah. not using your table saw to beat together a project. Um, so that's a good one. Um, layout tools, I think, are always good, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like, we've done, uh, Woodsmith has done a handful of squares. Right. Uh, yep. You know, those are a really good one. Uh, trammels, beam trammels. compasses. Yep. Yeah. Marking kind of, gauge. Yep. Mm-hmm. Stuff like those. Uh, those are really good. Um, from a finer tool standpoint I mean we use that in air quotes finer tool standpoint um making hand planes is addictive like sure like I don't care if it's an English Meyer plane I don't care if it's a block plane making a plane and having it work is like oh that was cool like I could do that again I'm gonna do that again so yeah 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 I taught a class for the Des Moines woodworkers on making hand planes and it was loosely based off the, you know, the James Krenoff laminated yeah. 
construction of a hand plane. And when we got to the class period where, you know, the bodies were glued up and we've got the pin in place and put the wedge in, you know, so the plane hasn't really been shaped at that point, but you can put the blade in, get it wedged and try a shaving, even though, you know, like the sole might not be perfectly flat yet. Like there was explosions and angels singing when people <laughs> took their first shaving yeah. with this plane that they made. It's unreal. Yeah. Well, and I think, the, I think one of the things that kind of excites me about hand tool making, and I've, I've said this for ever. I like really nice tools. You can make, you can make a hand tool. You can make a power tool as fancy or as plain as you want, you know, right? like, the all I did yesterday had a twisted shake on it, a, a cast and turned pewter uh, ferrule, and then an ebony handle. But could I have pounded that all into a dowel and had the same effect? Absolutely. It would have worked no differently. Right. But I like the fact that I can make it super fancy with, you know, an hour's worth of work. Sure. So, uh, you know, same thing with uh, your scraper shave. Like, you made that out of hickory. It has a really cool look to it. Could mm -hmm. you have slapped some hard maple on it? Called it good, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's that's that's a super fun and very slippery slope, in my opinion. Um, you get these guys that, I mean, if you look back to like Henry Studley, you know, the Studley tool chest with everything all fitted together. A lot of those tools he made, sure. Um, and they're like some of the most gorgeous tools you'll ever see. Um, there is also that guy down in. I want to say Argentina that does like really, really high end. I I want to call them restorations, but they're not necessarily restorations where he like remachines all the parts for like a, you know, a Stanley 71 router plane. But they're oh, like, yeah. they're like, they're machined out of ivory and brass and chrome plate, like just freaking gorgeous. You know, it's, it's a very slippery slope. Um, and, the other thing I really like about making tools is you get to uh, kind of lean into the metalworking world a little bit, which is is a fun it's a fun change. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, I always have this this picture in my head or this idea that you know wood's easy to work with the right tools, and to me, metal is not easy to work. And I right. think that is rooted from ninth grade with Mister Steve Allman at my high school where <laughs> we had to hand sand our machinist hammerheads that we made for a week. I sat there sanding that thing by hand. Um, you know, that's not the case with the right tools. Metal works very easily with the right tools and the right material. So uh, it's, it's fun to me to at least to, to lean on or lean into the, the metal working side of stuff. Sure. And I also like it because I've found that I can, you know, I've used shop built tools as a way to upgrade the tools that I have, you know, from some basic ones to ones that either work a little bit better or match the kind of way that I work. Uh, I mean, then there's also the blurring of the lines of taking an existing tool and adding to it either by remaking a part or, you know, like I had a, a number three sized 
Pexto hand plane that I found at an antique shop. And, you know, the tote and knob were kind of dorked up on it. So I ended up making a new tote and knob for it. That one right there that Logan's holding. <laughs> so, you know, or hand saws, you know, being able to make a new handle for a handsaw uh, is just kind of a fun, uh, fun process. Mm-hmm. I also think it's cool, you know, even if you go with a, the, you know, shop built power tool route is, um, you know, we had a couple of people that worked here in the past, you know, like Vince and Kent Welsh had a real affinity for old power tools that they would find at, you know, flea markets and auctions and all that kind of stuff. And they'd fix them up and vintage power tools have a design style that is almost entirely lacking in the current crop of oh, power com- tools. Completely. Like, yeah, you don't get any really cool, like art deco type power tools today. Yeah. And, you know, making your own tools allows you to have even power tools have a fun look to them. Like that, uh, what was a guy who built the edge sander on oh, YouTube? Uh, Rod Reyes? Yeah. So he built the edge sander, you know, followed our plans, but his edge sander has a sweet, sweet look to it. The way he painted it and added casters and, you know, styled different elements of it that even though it's our plan, it's totally Rod's tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he even added a, like a custom table on the end so it could use it as like a drum sander yeah. type tool as well, which is... a uh really good idea so yeah super genius in fact i've actually used our edge sander on the end belt or the end roller like oh we don't have a table over there but to mm-hmm. just kind of freehand curves and refine those shapes it's kind of genius so are there any any hand tools or any shop made tools on your bucket lists that you'd like to build or or second second question are there any tools, power tools or hand tool wise that you don't think it makes sense to build in your shop. Hmm. Not worth building. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to say I have seen guys build lathes. I have seen um, guys build lathes out of, you know, plywood blocks with pillow bearings and a, a drive mm-hmm. shaft with a chuck on it. And they turn some big stuff on that, and they turn some really high quality stuff on that. To me, I'm turning a big 500 pound bowl blank. I want it all cast iron. I don't want any plywood. I don't want any Baltic birch. I don't want no Chineseium plywood underneath that. I want good quality cast steel. I almost okay. said I almost said American cast steel, but. There's some really good lathes coming out of Canada too, <laughs> and Germany. <laughs> so, so that's one I would not attempt to build, nor would I attempt to build. I've seen guys do it, and I know people do it, and I know we'll get comments. Oh, I I did that back in the '70s, and it worked great. Making a table saw out of a circular saw, right? Yeah. Any reason it won't work? No. No. It scares me a little bit though. Yeah, yeah, and that's totally subjective. But yep. you know, I've seen different folk make big giant band saws yeah online you know there's any number of 
internet woodworkers that have made shop made bandsaws and they're cool and I totally get that, but I just don't know that I would do that as much of a fan of bandsaws as I am. Yeah. And maybe I just need to see theirs and use them at some point, you know, to see somebody's, I don't know. For some reason, I've always thought it would be fun to make a treadle lathe or a spring pull lathe, I mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like Roy Underhill's yeah. spring pull lathe. I think the plans were in Popwood. popular woodworking yep. years that, ago. That was one of the that was one of the only issues of any magazine that I actually ever held on to was that one because I wanted to build that spring pole lathe. It had yeah. Roy on the cover. I could probably tell you exactly which issue it was. Yeah. And that spring pole lathe design seems really clever to me. Yeah. Um, and the problem is, is that I don't see myself ever turning that much to justify it. Issue, so, issue 226, August 16. Okay. But it would just be fun to... Be fun make to build something it, like I that. Know. It would be fun to make. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of those that yeah, spring pole lathe. Uh, again, I agree with you. I think it would be fun to build. I think it would be a, 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 a riot, just an absolute hoot to, to use it. It takes up a lot more room than a similar size lathe does. And you need the overhead space for the, the arm to flap, you know? Flap, yeah. So plus but I like I think... to turn really fast and I don't do cardio. So, <laughs> right. I mean that, and that there's a different motion to it because yeah. it's a reciprocal turning yep. rather than just a continuous, which I don't think would be that big a deal, but those kind of lathes, you're not using carbide turning tools on. No, I no, I don't think you can do that. I mean, you, can, maybe you can, you, and I just don't know, but you, you might be able to, but you, you might as well just chew on the wood to give yourself a finish. So, <laughs> I'm also in the process of building what is sort of a dream tool for me in my little slot mortiser. Okay. Which also goes to one of your earlier points of, uh, can it be as good as a commercial tool? And if you're coming up with your own design, it's going to take a while. Oh yeah. Oh, there's, and even though I'm yeah. basing mine off of Chris's version, I'm changing it up enough that it's challenging. Yeah. And I'm in a frustration stage on it right now. Yeah. It's definitely one of those you have to go through iterations. So, yeah. Well, and a good point of that type of evolution is uh, the Panto router from Matthias Wendell. I believe uh, so, yeah. On YouTube, he built it out of wood originally, and now it's built and sold out of aluminum, and we happen to have one. It's phenomenal. I, I love it. I would never try to build it, but quite clearly, somebody smarter than me did. Yeah. So it all starts it all starts with a mock up yeah how about you john anything you want to make um i don't think that there's any of like the shop made machines that i would build out of need it would be more out of just the entertainment of building it and getting to the final stage right. so that's 
kind of my hang up is not having the space for them and not having the need for them, but just building it and then letting it go. That would be my enjoyment. Kind of like having a Lego set. It's like you build it and then, <laughs> then like, you break it. Cool. Now it's like, now what? Yeah. yeah. It's just the well, enjoyment of building yeah. it. So those, I mean, any of, any of Chris's things is just like, I would love to build and get it working. And then it's just like, okay, cool. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a valid thing. It's if you're going to invest the time and the materials to build one of these shot made tools, you better make sure you, not my place to say that to anybody, but you better make sure you're going to use it. At least mm-hmm. I would, I, I don't want to invest the time and materials in building something that I'm not really going to use, um, where maybe that's why it's easier for me to build hand tools. Cause I don't mm-hmm. use them. Sure. Right. And I always thought like it would be a fun project to build with my kids the like a smaller version of the shot of Chris's shop built CNC because they oh, yeah. they do a lot of CNC stuff you know learn about that in school so it'd be cool to build and have them mm-hmm. you know do little projects on and and use and stuff but yeah, yeah. now there is uh actually this is maybe one I should build on video at some point uh, we did a couple that's been it was before i was here um we did that buffing station mm-hmm. oh yeah like i would completely use that for turning not not turning on it but like set it up next to my lathe for final buffing on turnings so sure that would be a good one like i would i think i would use that mm-hmm. okay is it the wall mounted yeah thing yep yeah it's like yeah. a big arbor that had i don't know three or four different you could put three or four yep. different buffing wheels on yeah yeah which should be cool. I mean, I and yeah, because there's like the Beal um, buffing system for turning and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can basically do that. That one actually, if I remember right, um, and oh yeah, I just pulled it up. It, it had a couple grinding wheels on it too for sharpening. Um, yeah, and I don't know that I would necessarily use those. Maybe I put wire wheels on it instead. Okay, but yeah, I would be that'd be a good one. I'd use that one. I've also thought about, um, and you said it yesterday, Phil, and I, I don't think I have ever heard you utter these words that if we decide to get rid of that, I would try to buy it. I don't think I've ever heard you utter those words. <laughs> but you said that yesterday about that little two-inch wide belt sander yeah. that we have. Um, and I use the crap out of that thing. And I've mm-hmm. actually mentioned before that I would like to build that. Uh, it was a two inch wide by 36 inch, I think, uh, belt yeah. sander from shop notes, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah. and it thing works like a freaking champ, like, and looks super cool too. It does. And I, I understand when people see something like that and it doesn't look like it's wood because it's hammer painted and it's finished to a, you know, the nth degree. Yeah. But I understand when people, look at something like that like yeah it's not as good as one you could buy because it's made out of plywood it's like mm, i yeah. get it not necessarily the best argument but something like that you could very easily change it around and build it out of like you know 80 20 extruded aluminum or something um oh, yeah. if you wanted and and there's guys in the knife making world that do that all the time they make these huge belt grinders out of stuff you just basically bolt together right which is pretty cool yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we've had that for years and yeah. used it a ton and and never yeah, changed the worked. belt on it. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just a polisher. <laughs> I, 
I literally have a couple of knives I was going to use it on yesterday, and I'm like, hmm, this is basically a woven the, mesh belt right now. Yeah, the back of the belt says it's 120, but mm-hmm. the business side of the belt says... It's 1,200. Yep. 1,200, <laughs> yep. yeah. So. No, and the funny part is, is some of those tools we have that we use in the shop and have out, and when we have people come through on tours... They'll see some of them and like, oh, man, where did you buy that? It's like, ah, Chris Fitch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we just, fed, we just fed him and watered him and he yep. showed up. Yep. So. All right. John, you're all moved in now. Yep. It's all there. Anyways, <laughs> it's all there somewhere. <laughs> I was saying, have you started looking at a garage? Like, hey, this is how I need to set it up. That's I've all we care about. We don't about care it. about the I house. Thought about it. It was yeah. more of like, get it all in there so we can park the cars for winter, and That's I'll right. deal with this in the spring, and okay. try not to upset anyone right now with a mess in the garage. Say now, now that I think about it, I think all your is all your stuff gone from here. No, okay. there's still a router table lurking. I'm surprised and carts did not come. I got rid of a couple carts to okay. my brother-in-law. So okay. good. Cut my carts in half, and um, I don't know. Yep. Still have a router table, some bikes maybe hiding under the stairs somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing those. There's still some stuff here, but it'll yeah. be gone soon. So, but yeah. Right. I, had, I had the tools up and going. I was working on some shelves for the basement and stuff, but... Not in full production mode yet. Soon. <laughs> so. Speaking of setting up shop, you did a little land clearing, Logan. I did. I did. Um, I wasn't planning on it. Uh, if you can believe that, I was uh, this weekend. I had a couple of guys come out to my place to. Uh, saw some logs. They, which was really, it was God, it was a great change. Like I had the sawmill set up in the driveway, and people brought the logs to me. I didn't have to go to them, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. And like halfway through the morning, um, my wife walks out of the house. I thought she was leaving. She had a coat on. She had a coffee in her hand, and she brought me out a coffee. I'm like, what? What did you buy? Because mm-hmm. like that's way out of character. That's too nice. <laughs> um, but. I got to a point where I had cut the the logs I needed to cut uh, for these two guys. They had gone, and I'm like, "Well, I'm out here. There's sawdust all over. You know, maybe I should." Um, I went and picked up a load of white oak a couple of weeks ago, and I needed to cut it for a, a friend up in Ames. It's like maybe I should like dig into some of that. I'm like, I'm not going to get it all done today. So instead, I just grab my chainsaw and I start dropping trees um, where the shop's going to go. I cut. A few smaller trees. I had a couple hackberries and a walnut that were, you know, yay big. I did one yeah. bigger elm, and I also have a uh, lift that we're getting this week to do one more tree at your house, Phil. And I will be continuing on some of those bigger trees this weekend. So sure. just kind of taking off some branches off the top before I drop the trunks because... I don't think they touched the house, but better safe than sorry. Let's take let's take a couple of big limbs off first. Yeah, you know, and those ones. Uh, this last weekend, I I took down the trees that were not worth me keeping anything from. 
Right. Um, this weekend, I will take down the trees that I will log out. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, making progress. I'm, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm so ready to have this shop built. Like, my wife, over this last week, ordered, well, her birthday was last weekend, so I ordered her a heat press for doing, like, t-shirts and stuff. Um, and she asked, where is it going to go? And I made the comment on how I had made her this huge built-in desk downstairs in the office that I now occupy. I occupy half that office. But she said, well, when the shop's done, your office is going to go out there, so I'll have the whole office. And I didn't realize that was a thing, but I guess that's the thing now. So <laughs> it's happening. Yeah. She's starting to take over right. my space. So then Which what happens a- to your shop in the basement? Does that uh, go to her? Like No. So when I built that shop in the basement, I finished it. Fi- I finished it. Um, I pre-wired it for a, a theater room. Oh, okay. Because it's it's a, a long, narrow words, fourteen by twenty two, twenty three. Um, mm. But there's no windows in it, so I I pulled uh, like seven point one surround sound wire, um, put speaker boxes up. Uh, I pulled some flex tube to where a projector would go. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So maybe, John, when you're buying a projector for your house, we'll do a two-for-one deal. I was going <laughs> to say, when you get a projector for your house, let yeah. me know how that goes. Yeah. And then I'll <laughs> but, get yeah, but no, I, I preemptively um, – I mean, the, the, the plan has always been to build an external shop at my place ever since we, we started building our house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I preemptively – finished it like a theater room so it'll require some carpet and you know stuff popcorn machine popcorn machine so sure. so yeah cool. okay so next spring's seminar uh, podcast theme will be setting up shop yes you in know two different flavors yep you know i actually had done it. I had put a couple articles on our matrix for 2022 on that topic. I mean, everybody's always interested in it. Right. So, um, one of them is going to be dust collection. Cause that'll be fun. I've never actually had to plumb a large shop for dust collection. So it will be interesting. So I'm going to probably work with Oneida to, uh, we know the, the folk over at Oneida really well. Um, so we're going to get some expert input on that, I believe. Yeah. So that'd be cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. I think that wraps it up for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, I'd love to hear them. You can put them in the description or in the comment section on our YouTube channel where you can watch this or email them to us, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Don't forget to subscribe and pass along the podcast to other people who might use it. You'll never wear it out. It'll always come back to you in the exact same condition. You can subscribe to the Shop Notes podcast from all your favorite small batch podcasteries. And otherwise, we'll see you next week for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Bye, everybody. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs, and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.